Sorry about that. I'm still learning this new platform. Um, so we see now where now Pharaoh's given them a place to stay, uh, welcomed them into his land, and even told Jake, uh, Joseph, one of his servants now, um, to give them the best place in the land and take care of them, basically. And it's not real clear why he'd have herdsmen and shepherds if it's an abomination for the Egyptians to have herdsmen and shepherds. And that's at least the message that Joseph gave to his brothers when he gave them the um, the um, words to say when they encountered the king. But as we just read that the Egyptians themselves, Pharaoh himself, has herdsmen and shepherds and livestock. And he's even told Joseph to make uh, some of the, his strongest and best brothers uh, shepherds of his own livestock. So it's not real clear why Joseph would tell them it's an abomination to them for people to be herdsmen or shepherds of livestock when the Egyptians themselves have livestock, even according to the narrative we've read. So um, anyway, they've settled on in the land and at 47 verse 11, Genesis 47, 11, and Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. So it seems to me if people are going to thump a Bible and look for uh, examples of how to live, why aren't they doing what the Egyptians did? The Egyptians welcomed the people who came to them for asylum looking for refuge, welcomed them, gave them the best place in the land and uh, provisions. And instead, people in America, namely, but also in uh, Europe, for instance, uh, with the African people who crossed the Mediterranean, many of them dying in the water trying to get there, don't get that same treatment at all from nations that say they're Christian nations. It lets us know again, people will say they're Christians, people will thump a Bible, but won't bother to open it, read it, or even follow it. As Jesus says, blessed are the more than that, blessed are these who hear the word of God and do it. So it's not just hearing it. Hearing it is not enough. We're supposed to hear it and actually do, do it. Hear it and actually follow it. Hear it and actually live it. Not just hear it and then go on our way and do whatever it is we want to do. You're supposed to actually use it as our example of how to live and love ourselves, each other, and God Almighty if we're going to call ourselves believers and not just be hypocrites. But you see that that's not what happens at all. So anyway, um, now we're um, back to 47, uh, verse 12. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number of their families. So he's making sure his family's taken care of, even though they did him wrong. Uh, now he's immigrated them to where he is and making sure they're taken care of, which is pretty big of him. Um, all things considered. Uh, let's see, verse 13. Now there was no bread in the land, in all the land, for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So he moved his family just in time, it seems. Um, but even so, the famine, just like the Pharaoh had dreamed and Joseph interpreted uh, the dream was severe, meaning there wasn't enough food to go around. And Joseph gathered up all the arm money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the, the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought 
and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So people are starving and all over the region over there, and yet still the focus is on the money. And it's sad how things just repeat. Now you have people starving in the world, but not because there's a shortage of food, because there's plenty of food. There's actually food gets wasted by the ton, especially in America. And yet people still are starving. People are still homeless. People with money and with food are doing all they can, it seems, to make sure people who are starving and homeless don't get any help and don't get any food and don't get any health care. And yet they still feel like they're the Christian ones and following a godly example. It's really, really psychotically sick. And yet it's the way of America. It's the way of the world. Um, at least for now. Um, so Joseph is gathering up all the money from the people desperate to have food uh, rather than starve, because what good is your money going to do you if you don't have anything to eat? So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. So letting us know people can lean on money only so long, but there's some things even greater than money where that your money can't save you from. And it's sad that people have to live, have to deal with, to, to learn the hard way lessons like that. But maybe that's the only way some people will learn it when the money fails, when it turns out your money won't save you. A good example of that would be um, the movie in the Titanic movie um, where uh, and when it was sinking, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the wealthy guy who ended up killing himself thought that his money would be enough to bribe someone into letting him get some favor and his money didn't work at all. The guy threw the money back in his face. And then when he, when it really failed, he himself killed himself, according to the storyline. Um, but, you know, people will trust in money because money does, money talks. But in this case, the money failed there in the narrative we're reading. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So, he knows they're still starving. He interpreted the dream that the famine was going to be on all the land. And yet, even then, it's not about compassion. It's, a, I guess, it, back then, there wasn't enough food. It's not like it is now where there's plenty of food, just not a will to, get, to give it out. Back then, they were running out of food. So it came down to, okay, well, there's only enough food. There's scarcity. So we have to ration it. We have to make you give what you really value to eat um, back then. So now he's getting the people of the land to give up their money, to give up their livestock, to give up whatever it is they value and have that the Egyptians will, or in this case, Joseph and the Egyptians will see as valuable and have and take it for the government so that they can have something to eat. Let's see? Uh, verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So in just that year alone, the famine was so bad that people gave up everything they had, basically all their livestock, their money and their herds, whatever they had to eat. They, to be able to eat, they gave it up so that they can eat. 
when that year had ended, and remember the famine, according to Dream, was going to be seven years long. I'm not even sure how deep into the famine they are at this point, um, but we know at least one year has gone by. When that year ended, um, they came. When that year ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, "We will not hide from my lord that they're saying their money is gone. My lord also has. He's saying they're, they're saying their lord has. They're saying Joseph has their herds of livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of Joseph." but our bodies and our lands. So now they're saying they've given up everything they've had. They've run through their money. They've run through their livestock. The only thing left that they have that could be of value to the government of that time will be their bodies. So meaning they're willing to go ahead and be slaves um, and their lands. Uh, so they're willing to even give up whatever property they own so that they can eat and not die. Uh, why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Oh, sad. But so they're saying, buy them and their land for bread, and we and they and their land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So now they're willing, they're desperate. They're saying they're even willing to sell themselves into slavery and give up whatever property land they may own and give it all over to Pharaoh, give it to the government so that they won't die. And they're saying so that they can get seed, meaning so they can cultivate it and eat themselves, you know, grow food themselves and eat that way, which thinking of that now, it seems why wouldn't they have done that sooner? Um, so the famine probably had to do with the um, climate, the it not being favorable for them to be able to grow anything would be my guess being too hot, too dry, too uh, parched for them to be able to farm and um, feed themselves that way. Or whatever the case may be, they're willing to give it all up because you got to eat and they're uh, desperate. See, then Joseph brought all the land, bought, excuse me, then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. So I would have thought that the uh, king would have owned all the land as it was, or at least had rule over it. But I guess that's the difference. He has rule over the land, but he doesn't actually own it. Now they've actually sold their property to the king, the Pharaoh, um, so now he actually owns it. He doesn't just rule over it. He actually owns it. But what good does it do if there's no food? And if even at some point he's going to starve, I mean, or is at least at in danger of it. But it is what it is. That's how people are. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. So moving them from a rural lifestyle where they're out in the fields growing, uh, tending to... Um, herds and fields, moving them instead to the city, uh, making it more urban, as you um, want to think of it, if you want to think of it that way, where people are um, populating uh, closer together and not so spread out over the land. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their uh, rations which 
Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their lands. So the religious people, the priests, didn't um, have to resort to selling all that they had because they were given rations from the government, um, from Pharaoh's government, so that they didn't have to starve or do desperate things like sell themselves as slaves or sell their properties. And it sort of points to the same uh, relationship that religion has with politics now, where one informs the other of what to do, even though America supposedly has a separation of church and state, uh, left, right, and sideways, you can see where that's not true at all. Or from the pledge that's one nation under God. If there's a separation of church and state, why is God mentioned in that pledge? And if you believe in God, why are you pledging at all when Jesus, if you're a Christian, says don't make promises at all, don't um, swear oaths at all. And yet you see all of that is just talk. Uh, at least the belief in both is just talk. People don't actually believe or follow either one. It's just something to keep people roped into a mentality a lie, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Then Joseph said to the people, indeed, I bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you and you shall sow the land. So now he's purchased them as slaves. That's what buying people is um, and their property. Um, and now he's telling them, now you're gonna keep on working that property, keep working those fields. Only it's not going to be for you. Instead, it's going to be for Pharaoh, for the government. Um, and I'm going to give you the seeds to do it. And it seems to me if it were a just society or at least an ideal way, wouldn't you just distribute the seeds to all of the people and have them grow the crops and share them communally? I know it sounds like that dreaded word communism or even socialism as the government is involved, but what difference does it make if it means everybody living a happy, healthy, happy life? It, 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 I don't know, maybe it, I'm crazy. But anyway, they, they got the people to uh, give up all that they had so that they can survive. And it seems like now that I think about it, that seems to be the way America works. Make people so desperately poor that they'll give up whatever they have to be for allegiance to the country and then throw them some pennies, throw them some crumbs, throw them some seeds to get them to be grateful for that and uh, have an allegiance with the country, um, giving up everything for it. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one fifth to Pharaoh, four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food for those of your households and for and as for and as food for your little ones so why wouldn't that have been the plan from the get-go maybe it just took bringing everyone to their knees first um, and giving up everything that they had first maybe that's what it took making everyone lose everything they had and letting the money fail before people realize that uh what's most important it, it, uh, it when it comes down to it, is you being able to eat, not the things you possess. Like Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. So maybe that's what it took, humbling the people by making them lose it all before they realize that what's really important is, uh, or what's really needed is just being able to eat. All the rest of the stuff is gravy. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be and they saying they will be Pharaoh's servants. So they're saying they're so grateful that they're not going to starve to death, even though they've had to give up everything to get there. They're so grateful for the seeds, the little crumbs 
that the one who owns it all has shared with them that they're willing to go ahead and trade their servitude and make their allegiance with the government, with Pharaoh. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So the religious folks managed to get the exemption from having to have that um, one fifth. So a tithe, as churches call them, is one tenth. The uh, government here, the one fifth, that's 20% uh, is what they're uh, requiring of the people. But notice who gets the exemption from it all, the religious people. So again, it shows an ancient tie between religion and politics. The two things that people will tell you to avoid, usually even talking about. Um, but what Jesus tells us to beware of, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod is how Jesus put it. The Pharisees are the religious arm and Herod is the governmental arm, the political arm. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. So through that alliance, through socialism and communism is how it'd be called now, take your pick, uh, that now they're able to survive and thrive and both people are happy. The government is happy because they own everything and the people are happy because they're taken care of and not starving. And they still get to have four fifths of a possession for themselves. So they're not completely just without. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. So I know that sounds, like I said before, crazy by modern standards, but not so crazy. People live to be 100 years old. Um, it's not super common, but it's not, uh, I mean, it's rare, but it's not super rare, especially in some healthier countries where they treat their citizens better. Um, people do make it to 100 years old. Now to 147, that's like super rare. I mean, I don't know that that happens at all in modern times. Um, uh, but it's one of the things in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And if you think beyond faith and beyond religion, if you think uh, in science, it seems entirely possible that people could live to be that long back then, simply because the lifestyle wasn't as deadly as it is now. There wasn't the air pollution, there wasn't the water pollution, and there wasn't the, the, the um, biological pollutants and toxins that people surround themselves with and intake like they do now. There just wasn't. So it's presumably less damage, cellular damage, damage to the DNA, damage to the telomeres well, way back then than there is now. So it's conceivable that people could live to be that long. Now, of course, the people living hundreds and hundreds of years, like this says in the Old Testament, that's obviously an article of faith, but it's what it says. So, um, Genesis 47, 29 now. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I found favor in your sight, please at your hand, put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not, he's saying, bury him in Egypt. So the whole hand under the thigh is like a handshake now uh, or a contract. It's a way of making a promise or an agreement is how they used it back then. And he's asking him to uh, not bury him in Egypt, which is where they are at that point. Um, 
it's like his deathbed um, request. But he's saying, let him lie with his fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt. And he's saying, bury him in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. So his father's asking him not to bury him in Egypt, in a land where he's a foreigner or a stranger. He wants to be buried in the same place, um, presumably Hebron, the area that was purchased by his grandfather as a burial place. That's where he wants to be buried. And he's got his son, Joseph, who has the authority at that time in that place to agree to it. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So he got his son to agree to bury him, not there in the land of Egypt, but to bury him back uh, in the place where he's from in Canaan in Hebron. And that's the end of chapter 47. And I'm pretty sure chapter 48 is the last chapter of the book of Genesis. So let's go ahead and read it. And, um, That'll wrap up Genesis. And then, um, yeah, and there's still time. We're only about 40 minutes into this reading. So this is about 20 more minutes. So let's go ahead and start it. Genesis 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took him with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Wait, let me reread that. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took him and he took with him. That was it. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Joseph's gotten word that his father, Israel, Jacob, is sick. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. So he's not doing so good. He's almost 150 years old. And, um, but he's gotten himself together because his son, the one who he thought was dead, is coming to visit him again, even in his old age. Um, let's see, and with his grandsons. Let's see, verse three. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So, um, He's reflecting back on the time when he had a visitation, a, a, a supernatural visitation from, he's saying God Almighty, uh, back when he was in the land of Canaan and said to me, behold, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and get his land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So um, that's where I believe a lot of modern day uh People will look on that land, what we call the Holy Land, and claim it as their own, saying, well, it links back in the Bible, or not even the Bible for some religions, but their own uh, holy books, this same passage, saying that that's why they have a right to it, because God Almighty promised it to their forefathers and their descendants as an everlasting possession. But we know, even from the Bible and those other holy books, that, that changed. Those lands were given up by uh, the deities identified as God because of unfaithfulness. So can that really be God Almighty speaking then to say it's everlasting and then change and say it's not? Up to you. Believe what you want. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, 
before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. So this is where the whole 12 tribes seems to shift again because we're way beyond 12 at this point. And now he's claiming Joseph's two sons that he's had um, in Egypt, he's claiming them as his own. So now doesn't that make it 14 tribes? Or if you uh, subtract Joseph and add them two instead, then it's 13. Or if you keep Joseph and add them two, then is it 15? I don't know. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called um, by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So he's letting them know he's um, claiming his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, the ones he, that Joseph had there. Uh, in Egypt as his own sons, just like the other 12 or other set of brothers who sold Joseph into slavery, uh, Israel, Jacob is claiming them now as his own, but he's telling him any other kids that you have after that, you can just have those as your own, but those two he's claiming as his own. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So that's if in the New Testament it says Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's the same area, the same place uh, where Jesus, uh, his nativity is um, uh, uh, described or uh, written about. Um, and Rachel is um, their mother who passed away on the way, the one who was loved uh, by, Joseph, uh, by Jacob, their father. Um, so he's going over that with them. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? So he's seeing Manasseh and Ephraim now and asking, who are they? And Joseph said, his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. So maybe he was saying, who are these? Just being like a, a friendly old grandpa would be, I guess because he just said that he's claiming his two sons as his own. So why would he turn around and ask who they are as if he didn't know them? Unless maybe he couldn't see. There was the whole um, visual impairment scene. It does run in families. Um, it runs in my own family through diabetes. Um, but um, so maybe the same thing was happening with them where he just didn't recognize them. Whatever the case may be, he's telling them to bring his grandsons there closer to him. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. So he's uh, getting another visitation with his two grandsons that he had from his favorite son, Joseph. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So he's saying uh, there, he really had all that time he had thought that Joseph was dead. Remember from the lie that his brothers had told him. Um, and now he didn't even think that he could see him again. Now, not only did he get to see Joseph, but he's given God the glory that not only did he get to see his son Joseph again, not murdered by the wild beast, but alive. And also his grandsons that Joseph had. So Joseph brought them before beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth so he's brought his kids joseph joseph has brought his two sons to their grandfather and um they're prostrating themselves before him and joseph took them both 
Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Um, and I think that whole right hand, left hand thing is significant in what happens next. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, head guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So um, it he's doing this. It, it's that whole firstborn uh, shenanigans that seems to keep carrying on. Because remember, jo uh, Jacob translates to supplanter or uh, uh, underminer. It's, it's what he was named for and what he seems to have done throughout his life to his older brother, getting the blessing from their father before he died, uh, getting his his brother to give up his uh, his inheritance uh, when they were younger and all sorts of things that should have been given to the firstborn instead being given to Jacob the younger, uh, which is sort of a no-no, um, a customary no-no that the firstborn should get everything or at least the best of everything. And yet that wasn't the case. And now he seems to be doing the same thing with his grandkids and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk, the God has fed me all my life long to this day. So I'm just curious who he's gonna say is God in this case. So let's just see. Um, so he's saying Elohim here. That's how God is being translated in this case, not Jehovah as it's translated previously in other chapters. So he's saying God, uh, he's giving God credit for getting him this far. Welcome to the Naked Truth, peace to you. As you can tell, we've been deplatformed again. First, Hootube and I'll switch, has both switched up and Hootube on us without explanation, just cancel for whatever reason, I don't know. All we can do is move on and keep putting it out there. So in uh, that spirit, let's move on with today's reading. We're going to pick up where we left off with the book of Genesis. We're just about done with it, but we're um, still got a couple of chapters to, to go. So we're going to um, first recap where we left off in uh, Genesis 43, 44, and 45, I believe. Let me see. Um, so we'll start with the, the passages that stood out to me the most from those three chapters, and then we'll pick up with today's reading. Um, so um, what we, in a nutshell, what we saw happen was the saga of what happened to Joseph after he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and presumed dead and um, by, his, by his father, their father, uh, who they basically deceived into thinking that he was dead after they sold him into slavery. Um, so uh, these chapters basically basically gave us a look at Joseph's life after he was uh, uh, in Egypt and uh, the family he started there and um, he was thrown into prison there and he began receiving prophetic dreams um, and while he was in uh in prison there in Egypt, uh, that's in Africa, just in case you don't know. And um, and so that's what happened in chapters 43, 
44 and 45. So uh, in 43, he um, it, it got into his story there. Then 44, uh, he began, he rose to power through his dream interpretations for the Pharaoh at that time. And um, he could, he uh, prophesied that a, a great famine was gonna uh, happen back then for seven years on the land after seven years of plenty. So after, and that was a dream that the Pharaoh had and he interpreted, Joseph interpreted it uh, successfully for him. So he was, that's how he was sort of rose to power there. Then after he was given authority there, he um, then his brothers, after they were affected by the famine, were um, uh, they went to him, went to him in Egypt, not knowing it was him. Remember, they assumed he was gone um, after they sold him. They didn't. It didn't seem like they gave much thought for him after that. But they had to go back there to get food for the famine. And when they did. Um, they still didn't recognize them, him, but he recognized them, and he sort of tested them by um, uh, accusing them of theft and being liars and spies. And then he set them up by planting some um, his cup, his um, the cup he'd use for magic, basically for divining, for divination is what they call it. That's basically magic or black magic, witchcraft, however you want to think of it, voodoo. Whatever the case may be, it's what he used for his spiritual and uh, 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 ceremonies. Uh, the cup that he used for that, he planted it on them among their stuff when he sent them away the second time, so that when they um, after they left, he could send the authorities after them to catch them with it and arrest them. It was also that he could get to see his uh, youngest brother. Uh, so they're all they're like all brothers, but they're from different. Uh, different women, they all have different mothers. Uh, so that's another reason the whole idea that people nowadays will thump a Bible and say, oh, it's supposed to, marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman. Well, not since Genesis has it ever been like that. So people will overlook all sorts of things in favor of their own ideology, even though it doesn't align with what's in the Bible at all. They'll ignore what's in the Bible in favor of whatever it is they want to believe and then try and push that on people. But we see there, they had four, their father had at least four different baby mamas. And um, so at some points they considered each other brothers. And then at some point, uh, especially from their father, he uh, would do so, sort of made the division between them, letting them know, uh, no, Joseph's only brother was Benjamin, his youngest brother, not the rest of them, and showing favoritism toward uh, Joseph and showing favoritism, period, uh, throughout the whole saga of the family because he made it clear that it was uh, Joseph's mother, Joseph and Benj Benjamin's mother, who he really loved and uh, went all out for. And the others were just sort of uh, auxiliary side pieces that he uh, used as baby mamas and children to uh, pass on his name. But they weren't held in the same esteem as Joseph and his brother. Um, so I think that's kind of it in a nutshell, what happened in 43, 44, and 45. So in chapter 45, uh, after he revealed himself to his brothers, that's when uh, they sent word back to their father to let him know that, no, Joseph isn't dead after all. And um, he's alive in Egypt and he's sort of ruling over the land. 
and he wants to see you. So Joseph sent a whole contingency of food and livestock uh, and people to go and fetch their father before he uh, died. And basically he wanted to see him before he, because he's so old, he wanted to see him before he passed away. So that's what happened in those chapters. So let's pick up now with chapter 46, uh, verse one, if you want to read along with me. And since it's just audio here on, um, on uh, this platform that we're on now, Anchor, that we're back on, actually, because I read a few here before, but it didn't seem to take off, so we kind of went with another on another direction, but we're back here. It's where we are, and um, in case you're looking for the past lessons on my site, hungtgirl.com, um, I'm working on up updating those with the audio files that will link back to them so that you can pick up the different readings there. It'll just be audio, so there won't be video, but you can always follow along with what I say, if you like, with your own Bible or source to follow along as we read there. So all that being said, that's what where we are now. Let's pick up with um, Genesis chapter 46 and the continuing story of what's happening with the patriarchs and a sort of the treacherous family behavior that people were dealing with back then. And, you know, it's nothing too different now. So, okay, Genesis 46, verse 1, here we go. So Israel took his journey. So it so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So it says Israel, but it's not talking about, excuse me, the nation Israel. It's talking about Israel, the singular person, Jacob, who was renamed Israel um, in the book of Genesis earlier, a few chapters back. So the old man, basically their father, is now on his way to go see the son he he was led to believe was dead. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So now the, God's the one, according to the narrative, who changed his name to Israel. Now God's back to calling him Jacob. And you can check this out if you like yourself on the blueletterbible.org website and see. I'm just going to scroll down and you see now where it says and god spoke uh now god is being called elohim now not uh jehovah the god the deity that was speaking to him before suddenly now it's elohim as in it seems to be the generic name for god when it says elohim throughout the bible um whatever the case may be now he's not calling him israel even though he wrestled with him and changed his name to israel according to the narrative now he's calling him jacob again um but he's calling him and he responded. So he said, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. So now um, the God, this, the deity being identified there in this instance is, is identifying itself as the God of his forefather, uh, his father, um, Isaac. And saying, basically comforting him, letting him know he's not alone. He's going to be with them as he travels. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So he's letting him know that um, he's going to have the presence of God with him through his travels um, into Africa. And um, also back again. And that he's going to actually get to see his son who he believed to be dead all this time. 
Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So um, that's the whole group that um, um, Joseph, through the permission of Pharaoh, sent down to go collect his father with his brothers to bring them back. Because remember, the famine is still going on throughout the whole region. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob, and all his descendants with them. So that's the father, all the, the sons, and all of their youngins and um, uh, grandkids, presumably, uh, all heading down there. His sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So he had the whole family loaded up and went down there to go to Joseph where there are provisions. Now there were now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. So now it's going to go into naming off the different sons that he had, the brothers of Joseph. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. So these names I'm just going to read through. Um, this is basically like the genealogies when we read through them. Let, and I'll just point out the names that stand out to me. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep reading through them. Sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. So um, it's letting us know there that it, in at least one of the instances, there's um, intermarriages between not just the Hebrews, Israelites, but also some of the people of the area. And um, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Uh, the sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. So uh, the part about the two sons that died, those are the ones that, uh, that uh, Tamar was... Uh, I guess, passed on to, since that's how it worked back then for women, they were treated like property. Um, so one of the sons died. We read about that a few chapters back. Then after he died is according to their uh, customs, one of the brothers has to marry her, have a child with her. And instead of the child being his child, or at least taking the name of the brother who begot him, instead he's going to take the name of the brother who passed away. So that the brother who passed away is uh, bloodline can continue. Um, that's just the custom. So um, that's the ones. And then the other son was the one who, rather than do his duty, as it's called, uh, by procreating with his sister-in-law, uh, the widow, instead he had sex with her, but instead of uh, finishing to completion, he pulled out this way birth control, if you want to think of it that way, that sort of birth control method, the withdrawal, I think is what it's called, method. Uh, that's what he decided to do so that he would not have any children, but he still had sex with her, sort of a dirty move. But um, And then he died also. And then so she took it in her own hands. That was the same one who dressed up like a prostitute and then when had sex with their father, who apparently didn't bother to see who she was and, and, and know who she was and thought, as we'd say nowadays, he had anonymous sex with her and he impregnated her and didn't know it was her. So 
like I said before, or whether it's a glory hole or she was heavily veiled or he, whatever the case may be, somehow he didn't know that he was having sex with his own daughter-in-law, but she got pregnant from him anyway. So that's what happened with that whole group there. Sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shemron. I don't think it's the same Job as later on um, in the book of Job. Um, although they're not chronological, um, the Job later on seems to happen at a later time. Um, but it may be. I don't know. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jaleel. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters were 33. So that's one of the baby mamas that he had, the lesser loved woman he had them from. And Dinah is one of the females that gets mentioned by name, something pretty uncommon in the entire Bible, but absolutely uncommon in the Old Testament for uh, women to be named. It's a patriarchal document, meaning the focus is generally on the males and their storylines, what happens to them and everything about them. And the women are just sort of um, extra. They don't get the same attention, unfortunately. Um, Another sign that probably this is not God Almighty uh, that the people are interacting with at all times, but instead many different entities they're interacting with because why would God Almighty have a favor male over female, uh, foreign over domestic, black over white? It doesn't make sense. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Erali. The sons of Asher were Jemna, Ishua, Isui, Beriah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Beriah were Heber and Malkiel. So forgive me if I'm pronouncing these wrong. Sarah is is one as a woman is the first time I'm seeing her name mentioned, but uh, it's one of the instances where a female does get mentioned. I didn't even realize that. These were the sons of Zilpah whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. So it says he gave her to him. Um, so that lets us know she was treated like property also, but more like a slave would be treated because she didn't seem to have any choice in it. It's, there was no nothing about romance or love mentioned in it at all. Instead, she was given, just like you'd give somebody a pair of shoes, to him as a wife and she, it seems, was forced to um, have children from him whether she wanted to or not. Similarly, the same way the patriarchs in America did with um, slaves, enslaved people and yet sexually attracted to them enough to have sex with them, procreate with them and force them to have kids from them, whole families from them while their uh, wives looked on and basically just had to accept it apparently uh, because women just didn't have the same rights uh, that men did, the same privileges, and still don't. And there's a whole lot of women that seem to like it that way, as sick as it seems. There's a whole lot of women generally on the right. And when I say right, I don't mean uh, right and wrong. I mean right and left, as in right politically, who think it's the godly thing to do to take a back seat to the man in their life whether the man in their life is trash or not. They believe that that's their place. And they believe that every woman has to be in that same situation, whether those women believe it or not. It's very sick, but it's the way it is. 
Um, so it's Rachel, Jacob's wife for Joseph and Benjamin. Ja Rachel is the one woman who uh, Joseph actually loved. He was, she was the one who he did everything he could to get with her. Because uh, according to the narrative, she had a hot body and he was very attracted to her and her sister, not so much, but he got the sister too. And he got both of their slave, their maid servants as they're called, but they're slaves basically also as wives, as part of the package from their father. Um, and the two kids that she had, Joseph and Benjamin, were his two favorites, Joseph, till he thought that he was killed by wild beasts because the brothers made him think that. And then Benjamin, because he was his youngest and the child of his old age became his new favorite and apparently didn't make it much of a secret to the rest of the brothers that those were his favorites. And a Joseph in the land of Egypt and to Joseph in the land of Egypt, excuse me, were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Am, bore to him. So Joseph has moved on with his life and married in the land of Egypt. And he's married the Pharaoh's daughter and had kids from her. And those two sons that he had, Manasseh and Ephraim, somehow get tied into the 12 tribes of Israel even though obviously it's not 12 then because we counted 12 already. And yet these two more added to them and it's, they're still referred to as the 12 tribes. I don't understand it, but that's what it is. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beecher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupem, Hupem, and Ard. So those uh, are from Benjamin. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. So these are all the different wives he had and the kids he had from, from them. The son of Dan was Husham. So Dan only had one, it seems. The sons of Naphtali were Jezeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. So again, the slave being forced to have kids um, for the other woman, because she was in a sibling rivalry with her sister, uh, with her sister and the other baby mamas to see who could get Jacob's attention with the most sons. It's patriarchal. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. So those are the 66 descendants. And then he had his four wives, which makes 70. All the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So now they're sort of giving us a count of the 70 people um, from Jacob and his life there in Canaan. And then you got the two sons. It didn't talk about any daughters that he may have had, Joseph may have had while he's in Egypt, but the two sons that he had also being added into the 70, added to the 70. Um, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. So um, that Goshen is going to re uh, resurface when we get to the book of Exodus, God willing, we get there. You never can't tell with these platforms. Um, never can tell, period, from day to day what's going to happen. But um, that'll come up again. So now this is all same in the same area, basically, and um, they're on the move. So Joseph made ready his chariot 
and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. So it's probably very emotional because not only had he been sold into slavery by his own brothers, um, which had to be difficult enough, the betrayal, uh, the sale of yourself, that has to be horrible as a slave, that's uh, insult to injury. And then the years and years apart from your family with them, the main one who did seem to care about you thinking you're dead all that time and you being separated from him, that's gotta be very difficult. So that's why he's uh, all broken up about it. And his father probably was too. And Israel said to Joseph, now let, he's saying him die since I've seen your face because you're still alive. So he's saying, he's saying now he can die in peace basically. Now he's known, he knows that his son, his favorite son was actually alive and okay. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. So he's letting him know, he's gonna go let his boss man know that his family has, has uh, made the trip and they're there with him in Egypt now. And the men are shepherds. For their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they've brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So he's telling them that for a reason. Excuse me. He's telling them that for a reason because um, the Egyptians that he's among have a very different feeling about uh, cattle, livestock, and all that, similar similar to the way uh, people in a lot of people in India, the religious people there, feel about cows. We went over that also in a previous reading, but it's uh, there's a reason to it. He's going to go into it further, though. So he's telling them that's what they've been doing, that they're basically um, cattle barons. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? He's letting them know, preparing them for when they become a the king with what to say. That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, and for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So it doesn't make it clear why, um, but for whatever reason, people who are shepherd animals, whether sheep, cows, goats, or whatever, apparently are very looked down upon by the Egyptians. And like I said, it's similar to the way cows are looked at in India, even now. Um, so maybe it's something like that, uh, but I really don't know. Uh, but whatever the case may be, he's letting them know. Tell them that that's what you do because he knows it'll be a turnoff for them. And for a reason. So that's the end of chapter 46. Let's go on to chapter 47. We may actually get through the book of Genesis today. Uh, then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they're in the land of Goshen. So we're in 47 verse 1. And now it's letting them know, this is letting us know, this is now Joseph before Pharaoh letting him know that all of his family has arrived, have arrived, his family has arrived. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Um, that's pretty straightforward. He's um, before the king and he's introducing his family, not all of them, just five of them. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to him, 
And they said, the Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. So they were obedient with the message that Joseph told them to say. And I'm not sure whether they're lying or not, because um, it's not real clear why he need to tell them to say that if they weren't actually um, uh, shepherds. But whatever the case may be, they followed his instruction and told the king just the same message that they were given uh, by Joseph, their brother, who's in authority. And they said to Pharaoh, we've come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, but a famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So they're basically immigrants now and asking for permission to settle there. Asylum, as it were, just like the people on the southern border of the United States and uh, crossing the waters into the United States, trying to get in other places like the Mediterranean, just looking for safety, just looking for provisions, just looking for a better life. And yet you see time and time again, if you're dark enough, or that's generally what it boils down to, if you're too dark, you don't necessarily get that help, even though it's international law that if people go to your country looking for asylum, um, you're, it's illegal to refuse them. And yet we've seen it happen again and again. And the ICC, the International Criminal Court, doesn't seem to do anything about it, I guess, because the victims of the the uh, being denied the asylum are dark. If they were lighter, they'd probably do something. I guess if they were lighter, they probably would have got help. And yet, because they're dark, they don't seem to get any help at all. People just sit on the sidelines and watch them suffer. It's sick, but it's the way of the world. Let's see. Um, and like I said, not just here on the southern border. It happens in overseas, too. At people who are will cross the Mediterranean from Africa trying to get help from people who say they're Christians, just like people in America say they're Christians and love your neighbor as yourself and all that. They say that. They'll thump their Bible and say that, but they don't actually do it, just like over in the, uh, over in Europe. People will cross from Africa looking for help from the people who say they're Christians, and they'll send them right back on those boats. They'll watch the boat sink and watch hundreds of people die and still go right back to church and pretend that they're righteous or claim that they're holy when none of that is righteous and none of that is holy. And none of it is even legal according to their own laws. But it lets us know those laws are the, the consequences are for black people and the benefits apparently are for white people or light people, I should say. Um, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. So now uh, the king, Pharaoh, is addressing the patriarch, um, their father, and talking with him. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. I'm sorry. So now Pharaoh speaking to Joseph and telling him, okay, your family's here with you now. And he's telling him the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So that doesn't make sense there. Why would if why would being a herdsman be an abomination to them if he's got livestock himself and has herdsmen over them? That really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, it does. It just doesn't make any sense unless what they do with the livestock is where the abomination lies. But it doesn't say that. It says anyone. He said anyone who uh, shepherd, a shepherd of livestock is an abomination to the Egyptians. So that doesn't really make sense. 
Um, but now he's telling them, have the best of them be his shepherds. It really doesn't make sense at all. So I don't know. Maybe Joseph was just lying to them. I don't know. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. Jacob's basically saying, God bless you, probably for the help. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Self-explanatory, asking his age. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of, he's saying his pilgrimage, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of his life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of... Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. As you can tell, we've been deplatformed again. First, Hootube, and I'll switch, has both switched up and Hootubed on us without explanation, just cancel for whatever reason. I don't know. All we can do is move on and keep putting it out there. So in uh, that spirit, let's move on with today's reading. We're going to pick up where we left off with the book of Genesis. We're just about done with it, but we're um, still got a couple of chapters to, to go. So we're going to um, first recap where we left off in uh, Genesis 43, 44, and 45, I believe. Let me see. Um, so we'll start with the, the passages that stood out to me the most from those three chapters, and then we'll pick up with today's reading. Um, so um, what we, in a nutshell, what we saw happen was the saga of what happened to Joseph after he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and presumed dead and um, by, his, by his father, their father, uh, who they basically deceived into thinking that he was dead after they sold him into slavery. Um, so uh, these chapters basically basically gave us a look at Joseph's life after he was uh, uh, in Egypt and uh, the family he started there and um, he was thrown into prison there and he began receiving prophetic dreams um, and while he was in uh in prison there in Egypt, uh, that's in Africa, just in case you don't know. And um, and so that's what happened in chapters 43, 44, and 45. So uh, in 43, he um, it, it got into his story there. Then 44, uh, he, began, he rose to power through his dream interpretations for the Pharaoh at that time. And um, he could he uh, prophesied that a, a great famine was gonna uh, happen back then for seven years on the land after seven years of plenty. So after and that was a dream that the Pharaoh had, and he interpreted Joseph interpreted it uh, successfully for him. So he was that's how he was sort of rose to power there. Then after he was given authority there, he um, then. His brothers, after they were affected by the famine, were um, uh, they went to him, went to him in Egypt, not knowing it was him. Remember, they assumed he was gone um, after they sold him. They didn't. It didn't seem like they gave much thought for him after that. But they had to go back there to get food for the famine. And when they did, um, they still didn't recognize them, him. But he recognized them, and he sort of tested them by um, uh, accusing them of theft and being liars and spies. And then he set them up by planting some um, 
his cup, his um, the cup he'd use for magic, basically for divining, for divination is what they call it. That's basically magic or black magic, witchcraft, however you want to think of it, voodoo, whatever the case may be. It's what he used for his spiritual and uh, 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 ceremonies. Uh, the cup that he used for that, he planted it on them among their stuff when he sent them away the second time so that when they um after they left he could send the authorities after them to catch them with it and arrest them it was also that he could get to see his uh youngest brother uh so they're all they're like all brothers but they're from different um different women they all have different mothers uh so that's another reason the whole idea that people nowadays will thump a bible and say Oh, it's supposed to marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman. Well, not since Genesis has it ever been like that. So people will overlook all sorts of things in favor of their own ideology, even though it doesn't align with what's in the Bible at all. They'll ignore what's in the Bible in favor of whatever it is they want to believe and then try and push that on people. But we see there they had four, their father had at least four different baby mamas. And um, so at some points they considered each other brothers. And then at some point, uh, especially from their father, he uh, would do so, sort of made the division between them, letting them know, uh, no, Joseph's only brother was Benjamin, his youngest brother, not the rest of them, and showing favoritism toward uh, Joseph and showing favoritism, period, uh, throughout the whole saga of the family because he made it clear that it was uh, Joseph's mother, Joseph and Benj Benjamin's mother, who he really loved and uh, went all out for. And the others were just sort of uh, auxiliary side pieces that he uh, used as baby mamas and children to uh, pass on his name. But they weren't held in the same esteem as Joseph and his brother. Um, so I think that's kind of it in a nutshell, what happened in 43, 44, and 45. So in chapter 45, uh, after he revealed himself to his brothers, that's when uh, they sent word back to their father to let him know that, no, Joseph isn't dead after all. And um, he's alive in Egypt and he's sort of ruling over the land and he wants to see you. So Joseph sent a whole contingency of food and livestock and, uh, and people to go and fetch their father before he uh, died. And basically, he wanted to see him before he, because he's so old, wanted to see him before he passed away. So that's what happened in those chapters. So let's pick up now with chapter 46, uh, verse 1, if you want to read along with me. And since it's just audio here on um, on uh, this platform that we're on now, Anchor, that we're back on, actually, because I read a few here before, but it didn't seem to take off. So we kind of went with another on another direction, but we're back here. It's where we are. And um, in case you're looking for the past lessons on my site, hungtgirl.com, um, I'm working on up updating those with the audio files that will link back to them so that you can pick up the different readings there. It'll just be audio, so there won't be video, but you can always follow along with what say if you like with your own bible or source to follow along as we read there so all that being said that's what where we are now let's pick up with um genesis chapter 46 and the continuing story of what's happening with the patriarchs and a sort of the treacherous family behavior that people were dealing with back then and you know it's nothing too different now 
So, okay, Genesis 46, verse 1, here we go. So Israel took his journey. So it, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So it says Israel, but it's not talking about, excuse me, the nation Israel. It's talking about Israel, the singular person, Jacob, who was renamed Israel um, in the book of Genesis earlier, a few chapters back. So the old man, basically their father, is now on his way to go see the son he he was led to believe was dead. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So now at the, God's the one, according to the narrative, who changed his name to Israel. Now God's back to calling him Jacob. And you can check this out if you like yourself on the blueletterbible.org website and see. I'm just going to scroll down and you can see now where it says, and God spoke. Uh, now God is being called Elohim now, not uh, Jehovah, the God, the deity that was speaking to him before. Suddenly now it's Elohim as in it seems to be the generic name for God when it says Elohim throughout the Bible. Um Whatever the case may be, now he's not calling him Israel, even though he wrestled with him and changed his name to Israel, according to the narrative. Now he's calling him Jacob again. Um, but he's calling him and he responded. So he said, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. So now um, the God, the deity being identified there in this instance is, is identifying itself as the God of his forefather, uh, his father, um, Isaac, and saying, basically comforting him, letting him know he's not alone. He's going to be with them as he travels. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So he's letting him know that um, he's going to have the presence of God with him through his travels um, into Africa, and um, also back again, and that he's going to actually get to see his son, who, who he believed to be dead all this time. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So um, that's the whole group that um, um, Joseph through the permission of Pharaoh, sent down to go collect his father with his brothers to bring them back. Because remember, the famine is still going on throughout the whole region. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob, and all his descendants with them. So that's the father, all the, the sons, and all of their youngins and um, uh, grandkids, presumably, uh, all heading down there his sons and his son's sons, his daughters and his son's daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So he had the whole family loaded up and went down there to go to Joseph where there are provisions. Now there were now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. So now it's going to go into naming off the different sons that he had, the brothers of Joseph. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. So these names I'm just going to read through 
Um, it's basically like the genealogies when we read through them. Unless, and I'll just point out the names that stand out to me. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep reading through them. Sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. So um, it's letting us know there that it, in at least one of the instances, there's um, intermarriages between not just the Hebrews, Israelites, but also some of the people of the area. And um, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Uh, the sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. So uh, the part about the two sons that died, those are the ones that, uh, that uh, Tamar was uh I guess passed on to since that's how it worked back then for women they were treated like property um so one of the sons died we read about that a few chapters back then after he died is according to their uh, customs one of the brothers has to marry her have a child with her and instead of the child being his child or at least taking the name of the brother who begot him instead he's going to take the name of the brother who passed away so that the brother who passed away is uh, bloodline can continue. Um, that's just the custom. So um, that's the ones. And then the other son was the one who rather than do his duty, as it's called, uh, by procreating with his sister-in-law, uh, the widow, instead he had sex with her. But instead of uh, finishing to completion, he pulled out this way birth control, if you want to think of it that way that sort of birth control method, the withdrawal, I think is what it's called, method. Uh, that's what he decided to do so that he would not have any children, but he still had sex with her, sort of a dirty move. But um, And then he died also. And then so she took it in her own hands. That was the same one who dressed up like a prostitute and then went and had sex with their father, who apparently didn't bother to see who she was and and, and know who she was and thought, as we'd say nowadays, he had anonymous sex with her and he impregnated her and didn't know it was her. So like I said before, whether it's a glory hole or she was heavily veiled or he, whatever the case may be, somehow he didn't know that he was having sex with his own daughter-in-law, but she got pregnant from him anyway. So that's what happened with that whole group there. Sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shemron. Just, I don't think it's the same Job as later on. Um, in the book of Job, um, although they're not chronological, um, the Job later on seems to happen at a later time. Um, but it may be, I don't know. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jaleel. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padana Ram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters were 33. So that's one of the baby mamas that he had, the lesser loved woman he had them from. And Dinah is one of the females that gets mentioned by name, something pretty uncommon in the entire Bible, but absolutely uncommon in the Old Testament for uh, women to be named. It's a patriarchal document, meaning the focus is generally on the males and their storylines, what happens to them and everything about them and the women are just sort of um, extra. They don't get the same attention, unfortunately. Um, another sign that probably, this is not God Almighty, uh, 
that the people are interacting with at all times, but instead many different entities they're interacting with, because why would God Almighty have a favor, male over female, foreign over domestic, black over white? It doesn't make sense. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Arali. The sons of Asher were Jemna, Yeshua, Isui, Bariah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiel. So forgive me if I'm pronouncing these wrong. Sarah is is one as a woman is the first time I'm seeing her name mentioned, but uh, it's one of the instances where a female does get mentioned. I didn't even realize that. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob sixteen persons. So it says he gave her to him. Um, so that lets us know she was treated like property also, but more like a slave would be treated because she didn't seem to have any choice in it. It's, there was no nothing about romance or love mentioned in it at all. Instead, she was given, just like you'd give somebody a pair of shoes to him as a wife. And she, it seems, was forced to um, have children from him, whether she wanted to or not. Similarly, the same way the patriarchs in America did with um, slaves, enslaved people, and yet sexually attracted to them enough to have sex with them, procreate with them, and force them to have kids from them, whole families from them, while their uh, wives looked on and basically just had accepted apparently uh, because women just didn't have the same rights uh, that men did, the same privileges. And still don't. And there's a whole lot of women that seem to like it that way, as sick as it seems. There's a whole lot of women generally on the right. And when I say right, I don't mean uh, right and wrong. I mean right and left, as in right politically, who think it's the godly thing to do to take a back seat to the man in their life, whether the man in their life is trash or not. They believe that that's their place. And they believe that every woman has to be in that same situation, whether those women believe it or not. It's very sick but it's the way it is. Um, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife for Joseph and Benjamin. J Rachel is the one woman who uh, Joseph actually loved. He was, She was the one who he did everything he could to get with her because uh, according to the narrative, she had a hot body and he was very attracted to her and her sister, not so much, but he got the sister too and he got both of their slaves, their maid servants as they're called, but they're slaves basically also as wives, as part of the package from their father. Um, and the two kids that she had, Joseph and Benjamin, were his two favorites. Joseph, till he thought that he was killed by wild beasts because the brothers made him think that. And then Benjamin, because he was his youngest and the child of his old age, became his new favorite. And apparently didn't make it much of a secret to the rest of the brothers that those were his favorites. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt, excuse me, were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Am, bore to him. So Joseph has moved on with his life and married in the land of Egypt, and he's married the Pharaoh's daughter and had kids from her. And those two sons that he had, Manasseh and Ephraim, somehow get tied into the 12 tribes of Israel 
even though obviously it's not 12 then because we counted 12 already and yet these two more added to them and it's they're still referred to as the 12 tribes i don't understand it but that's what it is the sons of benjamin were bela beecher ashbel gera naaman ehi rosh mupem hupem and ard so those uh, are from benjamin these were the sons of rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. So these are all the different wives he had and the kids he had from, from them. The son of Dan was Husham. So Dan only had one, it seems. The sons of Naphtali were Jezeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. So again, the slave being forced to have kids um, for the other woman, because she was in a sibling rivalry with her sister, uh, with her sister and the other baby mamas to see who could get Jacob's attention with the most sons. It's patriarchal. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. So those are the 66 descendants. And then he had his four wives, which makes 70. All the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So now they're sort of giving us a count of the 70 people um, from Jacob and his life there in Canaan. And then you got the two sons. It didn't talk about any daughters that he may have had, Joseph may have had while he's in Egypt, but the two sons that he had also being added into the 70, added to the 70. Um, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. So um, that Goshen is going to re uh, resurface when we get to the book of Exodus, God willing, we get there. You never can't tell with these platforms. Um, never can tell, period, from day to day what's going to happen. But um, that'll come up again. So now this is all same in the same area, basically. And um, they're on the move. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. So it's probably very emotional because not only had he been sold into slavery by his own brothers, um, which had to be difficult enough, the betrayal, uh, the sale of yourself, that has to be horrible. As a slave, that's an insult to injury. And in the years and years apart from your family with them, the main one who did seem to care about you thinking you're dead all that time and you being separated from him, that's got to be very difficult. So that's why he's uh, all broken up about it. And his father probably was too. And Israel said to Joseph, now let, he's saying him, die since I've seen your face because you're still alive. So he's saying, he's saying now he can die in peace, basically. Now he's known, he knows that his son, his favorite son was actually alive and okay. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. So he's letting him know he's going to go let his boss man know that his family has, has uh, made the trip and they're there with him in Egypt now. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock and they've brought their flocks, their herds and all that they have. So 
He's telling them that for a reason. Excuse me. He's telling them that for a reason because um, the Egyptians that he's among have a very different feeling about uh, cattle, livestock, and all that. Similar, similar to the way uh, people in a lot of people in India, the religious people there feel about cows. We went over that also in a previous reading, but it's uh, there's a reason to it. He's going to go into it further, though. So he's telling them that's what they've been doing it there, basically, um, cattle barons. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? He's letting them know, preparing them for when they become a forty king with what to say, that you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So it doesn't make it clear why, um, but for whatever reason, people who are shepherd animals, whether sheep, cows, goats, or whatever, apparently are very looked down upon by the Egyptians. And like I said, it's similar to the way cows are looked at in India, even now. Um, so maybe it's something like that, uh, but I really don't know. Uh, but whatever the case may be, he's letting them know. Tell them that that's what you do because he knows it'll be a turnoff for them. And for a reason. So that's the end of chapter 46. Let's go on to chapter 47. We may actually get through the book of Genesis today. Uh, then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they're in the land of Goshen. So we're in 47 verse 1, and now it's letting them know, this is letting us know, this is now Joseph before Pharaoh, letting him know that all of his family has arrived, have arrived, his family has arrived. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Um, that's pretty straightforward. He's um, before the king, and he's introducing his family, not all of them, just five of them. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to him, and they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. So they were obedient with the message that Joseph told them to say. And I'm not sure whether they're lying or not, because um, it's not real clear why he need to tell them to say that if they weren't actually um, uh, shepherds. But whatever the case may be, they followed his instruction and told the king, just the same message that they were given uh, by Joseph, their brother, who's in authority. And they said to Pharaoh, we've come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for the flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So they're basically immigrants now and asking for permission to settle there asylum, as it were, just like the people on the southern border of the United States and uh, crossing the waters into the United States, trying to get in other places like the Mediterranean, just looking for safety, just looking for provisions, just looking for a better life. And yet you see time and time again, if you're dark enough, or that's generally what it boils down to, if you're too dark, you don't necessarily get that help, even though it's international law that if people go to your country looking for asylum, um, you're, it's illegal to refuse them. And yet we've seen it happen again and again. And the ICC, the International Criminal Court, doesn't seem to do anything about it, I guess, because the victims 
of the the uh, being denied the asylum are dark. If they were lighter, they'd probably do something. I guess if they were lighter, they probably would have gotten help. And yet, because they're dark, they don't seem to get any help at all. People just sit on the sidelines and watch them suffer. It's sick, but it's the way of the world. Let's see. Um, and like I said, not just here on the southern border. It happens in overseas, too. At people who are will cross the Mediterranean from Africa trying to get help from people who say they're Christians, just like people in America say they're Christians and love your neighbor as yourself and all that. They say that, they'll thump their Bible and say that, but they don't actually do it. Just like over in the, uh, over in Europe, people will cross from Africa looking for help from the people who say they're Christians and they'll send them right back on those boats. They'll watch the boat sink and watch hundreds of people die and still go right back to church and pretend that they're righteous or claim that they're holy when none of that is righteous and none of that is holy and none of it is even legal according to their own laws. But it lets us know those laws are the, the consequences are for black people and the benefits apparently are for white people or light people, I should say. Um, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. So now uh, the king, Pharaoh, is addressing the patriarch, um, their father, and talking with him. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. I'm sorry. So now Pharaoh speaking to Joseph and telling him, okay, your family's here with you now. And he's telling him the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So that doesn't make sense there. Why would if why would being a herdsman be an abomination to them if he's got livestock himself and has herdsmen over them? That really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, it does. It just doesn't make any sense unless what they do with the livestock is where the abomination lies. But it doesn't say that. It says anyone. He said anyone who uh, shepherd, a shepherd of livestock is an abomination to the Egyptians. So that doesn't really make sense. Um, but now he's telling them, have the best of them be his shepherds. It really doesn't make sense at all. So I don't know. Maybe Joseph was just lying to them. I don't know. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. Jacob's basically saying, God bless you, probably for the help. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Self-explanatory, asking his age. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of, he's saying his pilgrimage, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of his life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of 